0: Welcome to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. This podcast may contain swearing, plus it will be filled with lots of interesting chat. All the views are expressed
1: our own and are not those of our institutions or employers. You're welcome to share your own views in the comment
0: box on the website. And if you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe. You can find out more on our website, inthezonepodcast.com or on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also like us on Facebook. So without further ado, here's this week's episode. So hello and welcome to the In the Zone podcast with me, Mike Ryder. And me, Josh Hughes. In today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Emily Cox Palmer White, um, who's a good friend of the show. And um, she's a researcher in gender studies, science fiction, and critical theory. And um, is here to talk to us today about female robots and her research around robots and what, is it gynoids you describe them as
2: yes that is uh, that's the word i'm i'm trying to <laughs> make more popular. We often talk about um robots and, and androids as you know kind of interchangeable terms but if, but i think um obviously an android really means a, a male robot so yeah the, the word gynoid more specifically i think um allows us to think about um, specifically how female robots figure in literature in society in our idea of, of women generally.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a it's a big theme across your research, and I know that we've met many times before because we have a lot of interests in common when it comes to robots and critical theory and science fiction. So all of my favourite things, basically. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if maybe you could just give us a little overview of your your thesis projects and sort of the, the reasons that you you started in l- researching in that area.
2: Oh, okay, so. Um... My, I first started becoming interested in female robots probably all because of Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager so I'm starting, starting there with a really nerdy reference for you guys um, but um, basically I'm just really interested always in this idea of um, women who aren't in some ways quite women as such because if you're a, a robot simulated female then what kind of what how does that change the way we think about what a woman is And that, in turn, makes us realize, I suppose, just how fragile the idea of of gender is. Um, Not not just how fragile, but also how important important it is to society. Um, So if you think about um, cyborg women or robot women, or women who are simulated in any way, they appear a lot, by the way, in lots of different um, uh, kind of stories, not just things that are specifically science fiction, Um, but uh, they appear a lot. And it, it kind of um, made me start realizing that actually there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap between kind of this idea of authenticity and this idea of a I like you know a real woman so to speak in in uh, inverted commas and and um, and kind of something you can, you could physically construct something that could be made. So um, for example, that the 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 big classic myth is. Um, Oh, I've now forgotten the name, isn't that annoying? (laughs) It's where it's the it's the, the um one of Ovid's um classic Greek myths, right? And it's about a man who creates a woman out of marble and he asks Venus to to make her real and she grants his wish and she turns into flesh, right? So that's a really classic sort of um story, is one it ended up and you see it in so often just reappearing in literature. So um, for example. Um, there's a fantastic book and I forgotten the name of the author for this as well this is great um, <laughs> there's a fantastic the book called um, <laughs> yeah Artificial Eves um, and it's all about a kind of details all a huge list of all the different artificial women throughout history anyway um, it's it's just really interesting to look at that and to now look at kind of especially with the new kind of I suppose, explosion recently, more recently over the last kind of 10, 20 years in in science fiction, as science fiction's become more popular. So have a lot of these representations of kind of cyborg or robot women in sci-fi. And I think it's really interesting in the moment that we're in now when um, we're so kind of obsessed with artificial things like our Facebook image and um you know the way we present ourselves online generally and how that's brought a lot of pressures on women to kind of be not just women of course but quite a lot on women to kind of look a certain way and be a certain way and present themselves again in a kind of artificial way so um yeah
0: (laughs) that's a really good summary i think Um, it's (laughs) really fascinating (laughs) stuff i mean obviously i've got the benefit of having seen you talk at various conferences many times before so I've sort of got a grounding in the background of what you um, sort of your your research interest, but it does tie in with a lot of stuff we've talked about before, doesn't it, Josh? It um, does, yeah. we spoke uh, about
1: gender in AI and yeah. uh, whether robots have a gender and that type
0: of thing a few times, mm. like. yeah. Because that's that's the big thing that we we've discussed before, especially in relation to Siri and Alexa and all of these assistants that tend to be mm-hmm. female. And we 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 had this we had this discussion about well why are they female? Is it a sort of like a biological thing is it a sort of a mother voice or is it because we're used to sort of female subservience in some sort of way I don't know mm-hmm. or is, is there sort of some, some other thing going on there I don't know what your thoughts are on that Emily
2: um, well I think it's it's in me- okay it's, I think it's many ways yes we are we are used to female subservience I think that's a um, that's something that's embedded in us culturally. Um, and there's there's no escaping that. Well, sorry, That hopefully there is a way of escaping that, but there, there's no ignoring it. We need to confront that as a society and work on that prejudice that we all have, you know, men and women. Um, but at the same time, I think it it has a lot of complexity to it. As you say that, you know, it's it's not just, oh, we need to all stop being, you know, rationally, we all just need to stop being prejudiced. Because, of course, there's biological factors potentially involved there as well, as you mentioned. And. Um, And I think as well, it's to do with kind of um, the way we think about the way the way we think about um, uh, uh, the way sorry, (laughs) lost the thread of my thought. Um, It has to do a lot, I think, with this uh, with a key quote by Susan Muller Oaken, who once said that um, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically that the whole of society is still structured. Um, as if everybody has a wife at home, basically. So this idea that you know women have entered the workplace, um, but we still have this kind of nine to five structure, whereby you know everyone's at work, both men and women, and then all of the labour, I you know, at home and looking after children, and everything that's kind of forgotten about. So it's almost as if everybody has a you know the assumption that everyone has a wife at home taking care of this labour that you know women in the in the in the workplace. Um, you know, would have been doing while men were at work. But of course, now that they're at work themselves, this labor's kind of got it getting forgotten about. Um, So I wonder if you can think about these kind of personal assistants, these kind of Siri and Alexa and everything and all these kinds of technology that's designed to kind of make the organizational more domestic aspects of your life easier if that's part of why we, we gender them as women, because they're like our virtual wife at home, if you see what I mean, like they're, mm, they're fulfilling yeah. that role that women no longer have the time to, but are still expected to. Um, that's
1: really interesting. Makes sense, um, yeah. Yeah, I suppose I, I suppose a lot of, I think probably, i would p- perceived of this kind of femininity imbued digital assistants um, mm. more in terms of it replicating a secretary, that obviously was traditionally a, a, a femaleist job. Mm. Um, but that's that's a really interesting perspective, oh, yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I mean, one that I've raised before is maybe also you've got to look at it from the other angle that, well, maybe we're just more fearful of male voices because I think there's just mm. something generally about our receptiveness to female voices over male voices. I mean, I, I know for a reason, for example, you know, when you get these emergency response, um, like tannoy announcements, like emergency, mm-hmm. emergency, clear the building. If it's a male voice, people are less likely to leave the building. Um, or they're less likely to be so receptive positively to it, which is why they're not often female voices, because like something inherently in either if it's the sort of the tone or the frequency of the actual voice itself, mm. um, affects us differently. But obviously, yeah. I know we've got a lot of interest in shared interest in science fiction, and there's also obviously quite a few examples of uh dangerous male AI or male robots in sort of popular culture and I wonder if that's also maybe a factor as well.
2: Yes well I think definitely that I mean I think you're right There probably is something about um, voices and frequencies Um, we probably do learn I mean for example we're probably um, kind of socialized or probably more than so it's probably about there may be a biological element here as well but like as children I think there's the tendency because women tend to be the ones in the home looking after the kids, right? That the women, you know, mothers are the ones we go to for support and comfort and everything, whereas the daddy might be the one telling us off who's a bit more (laughs) distant. It's a very traditional Mm. um, interpretation of what goes on in in families, of course, which is um, far too much of a generalisation, but still, but probably that idea is there. Um, So that might contribute. But I think, um, yeah, absolutely, we do make... We tend to, so this is another element, I suppose, in the way that we look at artificial people, right? That tends to be that the the in in so much sci-fi, like Twilight Zone, for example, there's there's a, a key episode where there's a, a female robot, and <laughs> the whole point of the episode is how she kind of finds her humanity, and the way she does is by she starts, you know, she sort of finds a beautiful flower and starts crying. <laughs> you know? So often women robots are the ones who kind of come to find their humanity and everything, whereas male robots in in many uh, forms of fiction will be more threatening. So think about Terminator for example. Now, Obviously he does find his humanity in Terminator 2 but um, the first time we see him he's a threat and he's still a threat for like the first half of Terminator 2 as well. Um, And uh, there is a sense of I mean, think about Blade Runner, for example, that's another example where we have, um, you know, uh, Rachel Tyrell, um, you know, uh, Deckard's love interest, who is um, who is a a replicant. But then again, she kind of she finds uh, through her sexuality, of course, um, (laughs) she finds that she is, you know, um, kind of, you know, as good as human, more or less. so often with women it's about finding their humanity there's something we have to use to kind of ground them make put them in the box of woman if you see what i mean it's like okay well they can't be this other kind of post-human thing we have to kind of push them into a uh, and more kind of traditional way of understanding them um whereas the the male robots tend to be the ones that have a bit more not just aggression but i think more kind of freedom to be more themselves in a way um, I suppose I'm thinking of classic characters like um like data for example. it's very much a story of him kind of finding his own individuality and finding his own kind of story and narrative often the the male robots have a bit more agency um in their in their stories. yeah sorry I'm probably rambling a little bit and going off topic you no, really Your question um, <laughs> but yeah but I think, like this mm. is this...
1: For, for me when it, when it comes down to you know sci-fi stories mm. about um robotics and things like that mm. often kind of the stories are presented as though it's that it's the machine itself that is growing mm. or, or or learning and things like that
2: mm. whereas
1: obviously in reality we know it's all about programming yeah. um, and one of the things, one of the well, in fact you mentioned Terminator and I think there's, this is a, the difference between Terminator one and Terminator 2 is a great example of this mm. um in terms of programming because in Terminator one, the T 800 Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is programmed to go and to kill. Mm-hmm. And in that, there's a quote of, of, of um, Kyle Reese says something like, um, That machine is coming to kill us and it won't stop until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And then in the second film, when Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is said to protect John Connor, and then um, Sarah Connor's character says something like, um, it was. It would be the best father he ever had because it would die to protect him. Something. Something like that. Mm, and to yeah. me, it, it kind of comes down to that. Actually, it's about its programming, really. And it's yeah. about how, um, obviously, in the story, how how the machine is programmed, but as part of the narrative, how kind of it's been set up as um, a literary device. And of course, that's, mm. I suppose that's what it is. And and because it's a literary yeah. device, it kind of or well, it's not literature in films, is it? But whatever it is. Um, <laughs> It kind of I suppose in the same way that we can see these cultural issues reflected in programming of AI systems or mm. robots or whatever, we're also seeing these cultural issues reflected in these literary or whatever it is fictional equivalents of yeah. them. Um, so I suppose in that sense, it's no, it's no um, surprise to see these, these these issues kind of come across.
2: Yeah, yeah, know, yeah from absolutely. The, arts, the
1: really practical stuff. Um,
2: absolutely, yeah. Um I think what what's interesting for me is i suppose i mean in a way as you say it's it's no surprise (laughs) it's no surprise yeah that we see our own prejudices reflected in technology but also in the stories we write about technology right um what i find kind of more interesting is um not just seeing that reflection but also seeing how that's not often that's not all that's going on often these um female robots are kind of uh (laughs) going against their programming in a way like they don't be, there's something ambiguous about the yeah. way they behave and the way they act that is, doesn't necessarily fit a traditional sort of script. Um, and that's what I look for in my research mainly. Um, so there's a really, um, well, there's lots of examples of this. I'm trying to pick the best one. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a really interesting film that came out recently on, on Netflix called Um. Oh, what goodness! What is it called? Damn, I keep forgetting the names of things. Um, I think it's called um, "I Am Mother," and yes, it it is. is. Yes, we talked about it. We mentioned it before. I got (laughs) the name right. Brilliant. Whoa. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I I love. I love this film. So obviously, you talked about it before. So yeah, brilliant. So um, I love how it's basically what is it? Just three women in a room, basically, Um, and one of them isn't a woman. um, They're a, you know. They're a um a robot designed to be a mother. And I love how it plays with traditional ideas of motherhood because as that's what I mean, that sort of think that fits in really well what you were saying, Josh, about programming and how you know there's this is a program that's designed to do a specific thing. So we can think about humans in the same way, right? That we're programmed from birth to be a certain ways so that's what we do. Um, except that so you know you can use that idea really interesting to play around with with gender roles. Um and ideas about them so we have this 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 fierce robot mother figure who seems to be just going through their programming right just programmed to to look after this little girl and make sure she she survives and so we assume oh she's been programmed to be the perfect mother right we assume that she's been programmed to be um you know to, to to fulfill all of our fantasies of motherhood right perfectly nurturing perfect educator perfect kind of um you know totally for the other for the for her child um and of course am i allowed to spoil spoil um films terribly yeah, for the yes, audience yeah. is that okay if, <laughs> so I, I just oh, don't God. know the ending we should go okay yeah, I don't know how many audience members would see this coming anyway. But of course, what, what we find out is actually this robot is capable, is, is you know, a genocidal maniac, basically. Like she, because this is not a traditional mother. This is not somebody with human sensibilities. This is a ruthless robot, right? Who, you know, ends up destroying a lot of her own children um, in the pursuit of creating, you know, her idea of what a perfect planet, perfect child would be. So, you know, and that's the key, the most powerful moment, I think, because it it not only subverts our idea of what machines are meant to do for us, you know, this idea that we have perfect control over machines and if we just put in the right programming, they'll do exactly what we want. No, not necessarily. Um, They might do things we can't predict. Or go and get all like you know fulfill kind of our parameters in a really horrifying way <laughs> if you see what I mean and I think you know for example that that happens in reality doesn't it like that Twitter bot that um ended up becoming okay. really racist yeah. um for example and we didn't predict that we ju- we thought we were being good right we came in with the best intentions so and then in a similar way you know that also obviously plays with with gender roles that you know you might program someone to be something, you might teach them to be something, but that might not be what they end up being when they grow up. So yeah, so there's lots of there's lots of great examples in science fiction coming out right now and and have been coming out before as well.
1: So so when we see these literary characters that kind of represent, or robots that are representations of femininity or something else, mm. um, we often see kind of you know assumptions, as, as you say, sort of in I Am Mother, there's sort of this assumption about what is a perfect mother or a perfect mm. mother figure, um. Um. Obviously, that's kind of assumed as to as to what that is. No, it's not really mm. from whoever wrote the character or whatever. Um. Yeah, we see these assumptions in real life and real technologies, as you mentioned, sort of Tay, the the racist chat robot on Twitter. Kind of, there's assumptions mm. there about what people would feed, what information would be fed to the to the um, yeah. system, and then what it would output. And kind of, there's not really that. Um. Or often there isn't really that thinking about how that system is going to react in the real world or maybe there is that thinking but it's the real world is so complex kind of the thinking about developing the system is kind of can't compete with the real world mm. um and so we kind of obviously see these um these systems that don't really match up to what is or the, the I suppose in the sense of Tay, kind of the, the idea was to build a robot that you could chat, to, or a, sorry, a system that you could chat to and have quite a nice mm-hmm. conversation. Um And it didn't really match up to the complexity of the real mm-hmm. world. And, and in these science fiction stories where we have these AI systems and robots, where we see these um, often oversimplifications of what sort of, as, as in mm-hmm. my mother, or what a mother should be. Um And we sort of see, I suppose what I'm drawing at is, is there's perhaps a parallel between real world systems where the assumptions made about it can't compete with the complexity of the real world and these literary figures who are developed in a particular way to tell the story um, Mm. but obviously can't be kind of as rounded as real and complex human beings Mm. Um, and I suppose what I was thinking about was could do do we think that maybe there might be sort of a link between the two or is it or they kind of separate developments and separate um well i don't want to say failures <laughs> in a way because um you know obviously literary characters are designed yeah. to be um flawed in a particular way or, yeah. or from a particular perspective to tell the story yeah. um but at, the, at the very least it's kind of a or reality mirroring art and that type of thing um i don't i don't quite know where to go with that, <laughs>
2: No, I, th- I think you make a very good point. Um, the, you know, well, a very good, raise a very good question. The idea that is there a, as a connection here between the disconnect in re- representing, uh, representing a character or a robotic character in a authentic manner. I think you yeah. were saying, and also that combined with the you know our own uh, search for what we want to really get out of AI and what we can what its capacity is you know could we make could we could we make an AI that was just like a human in terms of its ability to think and feel and behave and experience and if we could would we want to um you know I suppose at the moment we seem to be kind of groping a lot in the dark with what AI is for Um, is it gonna is it gonna be a, a kind of servant you know something that you know fulfill the role of someone of you know um, someone that will do the jobs that we don't want to do ourselves or organize our lives for us or do we want to make it more than that do we want to make it something we can interact with um i think of course the, the problem with with things like um like tay like the the twitter um, persona is that we start i think in many ways we're starting to see as a society, just how complex um, the things we think are simple are. Uh, Let me explain that. Um, So, for example, you know, I think we went through a period um, where we thought that things like issues around, say, race, like gender, were in a sense simple. In a sense, we just have to respect everybody. We just have to kind of start to... We just have to be nice to each other mm. but of course what's happening now is we're starting to realize that actually our cultural assumptions are so embedded that it's not as simple as that what we actually have to do is start thinking much more deeply about everything we do right <laughs> and how so many of you know kind of um sexist or racist assumptions are kind of embedded into lots of cultural practices and embedded in lots of stories right that we're so perfect example right a lot of stories are being rethought about now aren't they like um, I I don't know Gone with the Wind and Faulty Towers right and all this sort of stuff because we're starting to think well hang on it's not as simple as that it's all just kind of you know be decent it's actually you know because there's a lot more unpacking we still need to do Um, there's a lot more nuance to the issues we're all facing than maybe we were previously aware, aware of and That's why bots fail. (laughs) The Twitter bot failed, I think, because we're not, you know, we weren't fully perhaps taking into account um, all the work we need to do in order to kind of um, use technology in a responsible way, I guess. Use it in a way that's going, like, you know, for example, you know, we're creating more problems with it for ourselves, potentially, with things like Siri and Alexa and, um, Uh, you know and Cortana and all of them because we may be getting our you know if children grow up around these voices these female voices they might think oh you know they might reinforce certain ideas about women and and what they you know that that you can just ask them to do things for you they'll just do it right um so you know we have to be very careful basically it's a you know it's a um to sort theory. of truism really isn't it we have to be careful with technology we can't just start doing things with it and, and think oh yes it's all going to be fine you know um we have to be aware of the the nuance needed when we're creating representations of people and using ai to do it Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah i suppose as well this, is this for me there's always this point and it links back to mm-hmm. what i said before about how um AI systems act is all about the programming and mm. kind of this um, imbuing them with femininity is uh, into, in the case of these assistants mm. is, is is an illusion, mm. and we're not what's the, eluding isn't it? What's the, what's the, we're like we're fooling ourselves, interviewing yeah. themselves as female, or, or allowing ourselves to be fooled. Right. By. Yes,
2: it's partly a self-deception. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and so, I sp- and, and again, I suppose yeah. that like that it's very easy for people to be fooled into that because of these because of all the cultural um Mm. assumptions that we that we have about um as you say the role of women in the workplace Mm. or the role of women at home um and so i I suppose there's also the being careful about technology is really important isn't it and Mm. i suppose it kind of what i'm linking to is that there's an education point as well in that these systems aren't real in the sense that they don't have personhood they're just a um it's the same as googling your phone but with a voice um a faked voice added on really yes. Yeah. <laughs> but but obviously then that I don't, I don't mean to downplay it because there's all these issues no. that we've just spoken about and, <laughs> and however many books and mm. articles are written because obviously it's, it's really important but um yeah there's kind of just that education element for, for people for yeah. me as well
2: sure like, i mean yeah, so carry on. No, sorry. sorry, let me interrupt. But I, I think, you know, it might be, I think this is unlikely, but it might be, it might be that we think, you know, if, if on, you know, you go through a really close inspection of the problem as sort of, you know, what gender to give these voices, and you might come down the side. well, actually, yeah, giving them feminine voices makes sense. I, I doubt that. I think maybe it'd be, make more sense to kind of mix it up. Like, you know, you can have a male voice for your Siri, for example. Yeah. Like maybe your Siri's male, but Alexa's a woman or, you know, something, you know, or give give both options to consumers and let them be, you know, try and be responsible with it. Um, but even if you did say, for example, yes, let's have women voices always. It just makes more sense for, for whatever reason. Um, then, as you say, the education is, is is the main point, isn't it? It's not just about what you do. It's how you think about it. Um, have you had that honest conversation with yourself about how you view, (laughs) you know, how you view women and and what their roles are? And you know, there's a big difference, isn't there, between kind of unquestioningly going around with these kind of ideas and having a kind of feminized personal assistant that's kind of reflecting back at at you your own attitudes, Mm -hmm. um, or and having a more critical relationship with with, with your personal assistants and the world around you generally is a is hugely different and I think yeah it definitely comes down to to education and in um you know, maybe we need to include this in the curriculum. You know, we need to, so, you know, need think, to, you yeah. know. How do you how how to interact with your AI devices responsibly? How to? I mean, why not include that? Have a whole module just about, you know, dealing with technology responsibly. Full stop.
1: Absolutely. How much screen time? Well. To
2: have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. I think as well, it's yeah. this, um, mm. probably education of consumers is obviously important, as we've said, but also of, of the developers is um, mm. is going to be crucial because. Um,
2: yeah,
1: I suppose in a, in a in a way, well, well, I suppose for lots of people who go and do um, degrees in or masters, PhDs, whatever, in computer science or computer engineering, or whatever, develop technology stuff. Um, it's um, often they do it because they're interested in that type mm. of thing, and they, because because yeah. writing algorithms and whatever and, and difficult maths problems are what they want to do, um, but dealing with um, the complex social impact of what they build is not really their thing it's not I mean if they wanted to learn about that they would they would they would be doing our job yeah yeah um, (laughs) yeah I suppose it's it's one of those things where sort of you know imbuing this into into those areas of study is 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 really important and it's only going to become more so and Mm. um, I suppose it's a sorry guys you're going to have to do this (laughs) Right.
2: Well, um, I th- yeah I mean to an extent I mean I think it's obviously it's unreasonable to ask everyone to go and do phds in
1: yeah.
2: gender theory as much as I might want to make that match <laughs> um I think it's much you know but we do all need to try and educate ourselves I think I think I think that's something that you know something that the recent um kind of um the recent kind of unrest and and um you know uh black lives matter. Um, kind of new awareness that's been created Um, I think that does show us something about not just that actually also the coronavirus epidemic it's shown us a lot about how much thinking carefully and trying to educate yourself about other about about the issues around you about the issue you know you can't treat yourself as an island and you can't imagine I think that just just kind of having a tunnel vision about like your focus on, on your kind of expertise or your Um, thing that interests you is enough we do have to try and educate ourselves about you know um, about the world around us and about and and to try and live ethically in that world Um, and we can't escape that because if you don't if you switch those things off or if you just don't kind of engage with it then you end up with big social problems (laughs) you know you risk kind of blindly following a certain path Um, and yeah, I hope I think, you know, that's um, we have the potential to think about that in this um, current crisis. You know, you have to think about things like, you know, how am I treating people who are different to me and what sort of stereotypes am I falling into or relying on falling back on and not but not, not doesn't stop there. How, you know. Maybe I should you know think more about keeping two meters away from people or you know, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Yeah. You know all these things they need thought, don't they? They require a critical thought and emphasize and highlight the fact that we need to um, yeah, think about our interactions with others. Um,
0: yeah, I mean yes. that sounds <laughs> that sounds like a really good mm. conclusion, really. I mean, I yeah. was <laughs> gonna just close on just mentioning the role of the actual producers and the companies that market these things because. Mm. I know that obviously mm-hmm. they have a big role to play in this because they almost create this self-fulfilling prophecy where yeah. because they know that we're more receptive to female voices, they make female voices and therefore we become more receptive mm-hmm. to female voices. Yes. <laughs> and I know in a, a particular conference paper mm-hmm. that I gave, I, I like to bring up the fact that, well, actually, don't forget all of these interactions you have with these things are scripted. So of, so often there's, mm-hmm. there, are, there are actually people behind the scenes who are former sort of uh, Disney writers who are making the conversations that you have with google assistant so that you make so that you believe that it's it's human when really it's just an algorithm like we were saying before it's just a voice yeah. version of just doing a google search but as <laughs> you say I, th- I think it is about educating yeah. and sort of making every everyone aware and making sure as well that these companies also take some responsibilities for the consequences of their actions i think um yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, companies are composed of individuals and they need to take responsibility, too. They need to think to themselves, so how am I? You know, I'm going to create this product and I'm going to put this into the world. What effect is this going to have on people? Um, do I want to be part of that? And how can I make a difference? You know, it's, it's all come in the end. I think it all comes down to individual responsibility.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to end it, I think. think Uh, (laughs) Cool. Okay. I'm sure uh, this will come up in another podcast as well. Um, Thank you very much, Emily, for joining us today. That was really interesting. Um, Thank you. See you next time. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes.
1: For more podcasts and interesting chat, visit inthezonepodcast.com.